Well, good morning, church family. Thank you for being here today. It's my pleasure to introduce to our speaker today, Kirk Morris. Uh, during this past weekend, we've had Disciple Now weekend. I think, Chris, had we had something like 170, 180 folks around here this past weekend. Several churches, five, six churches combined together. And we asked Kirk to come be the, the Disciple Now speaker. And he stayed over to preach to you today. Kirk is a student at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary and continuing to prepare himself for whatever God has prepared for him. So he lives in Wake Forest, North Carolina. He's married to the former Jennifer Long. Many of you know Jennifer. And they've got a beautiful little girl, one and a half years old, named Becca. And uh, if you want, yeah, amen on that, right? And if you want to see pictures of Becca, I'm sure Kirk has some he can share with you. Uh, I sure would if I were him. Uh, Folks, Kirk is no stranger to us. He's been here several times, but I want you to give him a good amount of your welcome as he comes to share God's Word with us. You'll have to listen well. Did I just turn it off? Okay, thank you. Have to listen well. Not because I'm important, just because I can't speak. Let's pray. Father, you're good. So much better than anything that in our, uh, any word or in our vocabulary can describe. You are slow to anger and quick to love, quick in mercy. When we question you and, and, and bring our sinfulness before you and we ask, what is it we must do? You just simply say, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And we thank you that you've made that possible through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we find solace in knowing that, oh, what a mighty fortress is our God. The strengthened hands that are, are weak and, and joints that are tired and, and a voice that isn't working. And let your voice echo through the halls, let it shake rafters. As the psalmist write, let it break the timbers and split the cedars, Lord. Come, be with your people. Wrap your love around us. Your precious holy name, amen. We're going to be in Ephesians 5 today. uh, The whole weekend we spent Ephesians 4. um, And uh, so we're just going to keep on going. We're going to fill you in on what's happened some this weekend. God's done some good stuff. And, and, you know, as of right now, last night we, we heard that, uh, Dr. Short and I just heard that somebody accepted Christ last night. And um, so, in a good old Southern Baptist tradition, you know, if it was just for one, then we had a good weekend. Um, but I would contend, as I always have, and I think I've even said behind this pulpit before, um, not always results-driven. You don't always see fruit immediately whenever you plant it. And so sometimes it's just worth it because God said do it. Um, and uh, so we talked a lot about being one and being unified. And so Chris asked me this morning, he's like, so you finished up Ephesians 4 last night. How are you, where are you going? I said, I'm in Ephesians 5. You know, it just kind of <laughs> makes sense. It's all part of the same letter. Um, I'm going to communicate uh, to you today uh, through giving you, we're at the top or bottom of the chapter. Uh, I've got a couple of verses in my head that are memorized. I'm using a Bible that uh, doesn't have any uh, numbers in it. It's just, it's, it's a Bible that they made for, for people's, people whose brains work the way mine does. So, uh, but I do know we are in Ephesians 
chapter 5, and we're starting at the beginning, so apparently that would be verse 1. So let's, 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 let's read it. That's TR Mathematics for you. Um, let's read this. Uh, and I, like I told our students, I'm just going to do some Bible walking and kind of go through it, and let's just unpack it. You know, and, and it's really not a deep message in the, ten, in the sense of hearing something brand new or learning a snazzy Greek word or anything like that. The Lord gave us a comforter, a friend, the Holy Spirit, whenever he poured his spirit out on us. He gave us the Bible, and he gave us the mind and common sense, and he tends us to use all three of them in conjunction with each other. Um, and so today, this is one of those things where it's just really keeping it simple. But keeping it simple doesn't mean that it doesn't have profound implications or an impact on your life, or better yet, on this body and the global church. So, uh, we're going to start in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. I sold insurance for some time, and, you're, and some of you have already just tuned out. He's a preacher, and he used to sell insurance. I don't want to listen to him anymore. Um, so, uh, it was really not something I really enjoyed, but it was just, it was, that's where, that's the way God allowed me to make money during a season of bivocational ministry. And... Um, so I was selling insurance, and it was cold calls. Hey, would you like to buy insurance? No. Um, I remember I called somebody one day. And I said, yes, yes, ma'am, I'm looking for so-and-so. And the woman very curtly said, keep looking, and hung up. And uh, so I worked with a brother in Christ who's since gone home to glory. And I, it's, it's a blessing anytime you get to do life with each other. And I, I want you to realize that. You're not just people sitting on a pew. It's just a blessing to do life together in the service and in the kingdom of the King of Kings. And, and you, we are supposed to serve God and enrich each other's life. And so Ed was in my life, and he said to me, he said, Kirk, your greatest weapon in sales is love. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And then he said, and because you're a Christian... You have an advantage in sales. And I was, got automatically like really uncomfortable. You know, I was like, I don't really think I'm going to like where this is going. And because uh, I thought it was going to be like, you know, you can play the emotional card, this, that, and the other. I was like, I'm not really comfortable with this. But then he looked at me and he gave me some of the best advice I've ever had in my entire life. And he said, your greatest weapon is love. And you have an advantage in sales because the love that you have, it comes from Christ Jesus and it's authentic and it's eternal, and it's real, and it's not cheap. And he said, and because of that, when you walk into somebody's house or you pick up a phone call and you're trying to deliver a product, if you're offering the service and ministry of Jesus Christ rather than a product, and you're looking out for them as Christ would look out for them, you'll never want for anything. And that was some of the best. And if you run a business, don't offer a service, don't offer a product, offer Jesus and watch what happens. It's an amazing thing. That's how the church has been doing it for years. When we mess up is we start running it like a business. But when we start offering Jesus, man, great things happen. Kind of simple. So, uh, but he said, your greatest weapon is love. And that's what I want to talk to you about. In, in Ephesians 4, it talks about there's one body, there's one Lord, there's, there's one baptism, there's one faith. It's, it's about being unified. It's about being one. It's not about just being the church as individuals, but it's about being the church collectively. And, and, and not just your idea or concept of church, but what the King of Kings said, this is what I want you to do. 
You know, this is how I want you to live. You know, they will know you by your love. And so when we look at unity and, and, and the call to it, the driving force behind it is not necessarily the, the command or the demand of Jesus, but his love. You know, it's kind of like a father tells his son, don't do this. And the son, because he is sinful, will look at his father and say, or, or in my case, sinful combined with ADHD, bad combination. I will look at my father who's down here and I said, hey, why do I not have to do that? And he would look at me and he'd say, because I'm your father. And it wasn't until I got older and I realized because I'm your father really means because I love you. Not because he's wanting to lord over me or domineer me or anything like that. No, because I love you. So he's telling you to be the church. He's telling you to be in him. And that's the thing. As Paul writes to the Ephesians, he's, there's so much stuff here that's implied. It's not even funny. There's one Lord, one baptism, one faith. Be, be diligent and, 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 and eager to preserve the bond and the unity of the Spirit. And he goes on through in the first part of Ephesians 4, laying, laying that out. And he's implying for you to be a part of any other thing contrary to what Jesus has spoken is not being one with him or his body. So you following an idea of Jesus or an idea of church or a concept of church or a concept of Jesus is directly antithetical to being one with him. Simple traveler's rest mathematics. If there's more than one, you've got two and you don't have one. You know, I'll, I'll start you off with there. I don't want to give you naught plus naught equals naught. That can, that can get kind of hairy, all right? So uh, he, says, he says, therefore, I want you to be imitators of God as beloved children. I've got a little girl named Becca. She's a year and a half, and she is a pistol. And we put her in time out a couple of days ago, my wife did, and she sent me a video of her, right? Uh, and she is just, na-na-na, doi-doi, na-na-na-na, na-na-na, doi-doi, I don't know what doi-doi means, but that's her word, you know, and then doi-doi, dredge, doi-doi, making all these noises, and she's pointing at my wife, and somewhere in there, she says, dada, and I think she's telling my wife, if my daddy was here, I wouldn't be in timeout, but you've got me on lockdown, and she's just letting the big dog eat, you know, she's got that finger, and she's shaking it in my wife's face, and my wife's, you know, being a good mother and saying, Becca, we don't do that. You're in timeout. Smile for the camera. And whenever this takes place, whenever this takes place, she sends it to me and we get home at night. She goes, where did she get this? And I said, I don't know. She's imitating somebody. And why is she imitating somebody? Because she's a child. She's completely dependent upon us right now. And apparently, doi-doi and dredge have, like, different, like, a various amount of meanings, different meanings, you know, because that's all she says. And then, like, you go dog and, and, and cat and, and, and cow and pig, and she's good with stuff like that. What does a cow say? Moo. What does a pig say? Oink, oink. What does a dog say? Dog, dog. Apparently, it's the only animal in the kingdom that says its name. I'm not sure. <laughs> and so... She's imitating what we teach her. She's imitating us. She's completely dependent upon us. And therefore, walk in love and be imitators of God as little children, dear church. It's not that difficult. You see your father doing something? Won't you try it out? You see him loving the least of these? Won't you try it out? You see him telling other people in Scripture the good news of who he is and why he came? Won't you try it out? That's what it is. We're not peddling wares and goods. We're not peddling anything. We're gossiping the gospel. We're proclaiming Jesus. 
And I told our students this week that Jesus comes in and he does three things here. He takes something from us. What does he take? He takes, his, he takes our sin from us. He takes our sin from us. And then after that, what does he replace on it? He gives grace, grace that doesn't run out. And then beyond that, what happens for us? He receives glory and honor from everything that we do. And people say, well, that sounds kind of like a jerk move. He wants everything that I, I have. He wants me to praise him with everything. Why? Why do we have such a problem with that? He's the one that done all the work. You're just providentially planned because you're in the hollow of his hand to be there and receive his love and his grace. You know, if I took a bullet for you, would you not, would you not be grateful for me? Would you not love me to an extent? You know, Jesus did more than that. He took a nail for you several of them, and then a spear, and then a cross, and then torment, and then separation from the Father. And we have a problem with saying, I don't know if he's really worthy of all this stuff he's saying he's cracked up to be, you know? So what does Jesus do? He comes in, and he says, I want you to be one, and I want you to walk in unity, and the only way you can do that is powered by my love. And because I love you, I laid down my life for you, I took the nails, I took the shame, you know, I went to the cross, despising the shame, and I whooped sin and death. In Ephesians 4, it talks about, it quotes the Old Testament halfway through the, the chapter uh, in between uh, verses 10 and verses 11. And it says, somewhere in the area, he says, uh, we quote Psalm 68, 18, and it says, and he led with him a whole host of captives, uh, and then he gave gifts to men. And it talks about him ascending and descending, ascending back into heaven after descending to earth to love on us and take on flesh. And the, the, the thing is, sometimes the Bible was originally written in Hebrew, Old Testament, Greek, New Testament. And the English language, although it's a complex language, sometimes things don't get as clearly articulated whenever they are translated from the classical languages. And they would write sometimes in the, in the, in, in, in the, uh, the manner of articulating ideas. And so this idea is, in the Psalms, it says, and he ascended uh, receiving gifts from men. And in Ephesians, it says he ascended giving gifts to men. And the whole concept here is Jesus takes something away in order to give something away, in order to receive everything. And what's the gift here? Man, he took your sin. And, and what's, the, what's the, the even greater gift here? He pours out grace. Grace upon grace is what John chapter 1 tells us. Grace that will never, ever, ever run out. Furthermore, in Ephesians chapter 4, he says this. He says, and he gives these gifts to us according to the measure of Christ Jesus' gift. Well, how can you measure somebody dying on the cross for us? How can you measure somebody that type of, as the old hymn says, unmerited favor? You can't. You can't put a price tag on that. What? Uh, it, it says here in Ephesians 4, first and foremost, walk worthy of a manner according to your calling. Worth and value is determined directly by what somebody's willing to pay for. And Jesus looked at little old you and said, mm, I need to die for them. I need to save them. I need to bring many sons and daughters to glory. You can't. That's why his grace never runs out, because you can't put a price tag on his gift. My father, my king of kings, there is, no, there is no end and beginning to his kingdom. 
His kingdom's not of this world. His, his kingdom is, of, uh, is, is seated in the heavens and, and is of the age to come. The psalmist says he sits in the heavens and reclines his feet on the earth. You know, Jesus himself looked at, looked at the government officials before he was crucified and said, hey, my kingdom's not of this world. If it was, my followers would be rioting in the street. But they know that there's more going on than what just meets the eye. And the question to you, church, is do, have we forgotten that? Are we powered by his love? Have we realized that he's taken our sin and he's given us gifts that will never, ever, ever, ever run out? And so then we make it here to Ephesians 5, and he's asking you to imitate him, looking at the example that he put before you. I told our students this past weekend, hey, God knew that we would never, ever, 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 ever put forth the the effort to try to identify with him. So therefore, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and suffered in the desert suffered on the cross for a good man some might dare to die but for you and I the Bible says nope only God could kind of reminds you of maybe some of you remember this it kind of reminds you of Paul Harvey's The Birds doesn't it not Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds that's completely different you know can't really find the gospel in that other than just possible just running around screaming help me Jesus but um you know he took on flesh to come and identify with you he knew everything about you already but so that you would know what he knows about you he took the nails and so now we're here in Ephesians 5 and we're just gonna do some Bible walking that's just looking at it very simple like I said not something profound but it has very big implications for us it be imitators of God as beloved children. You know he loves you. Do you I mean, like you say it, you read it, but you let it sink in that he, that he loves you. And walk in love. And here's how he spells out this imitating of God. That's Christ's love. Well, Kirk, Christ turned other cheek. Christ carried the bag the extra mile. I can't do that. Guess what? You're exactly right. But Christ in you, the hope of glory can saint and sinner alike don't forget it do not forget it and he says and love is christ loved and he gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and as a sacrifice to god man there is days of my life where i am convinced that my life is not a fragrant offering to god it is just an absolute wretched stench do you ever have days like that i mean somebody pulls like me traffic you want to see unregenerate kirk morris somebody cut me off with my baby in the car seat in the back they just go redneck in a heartbeat, you know? And, um, and I know in that moment, I'm not looking at anything like Jesus. I'm just, I'm not a fragrant offering or, or a sacrifice. I'm a walking, talking pile of mess. And some of us, guess what? We struggle with the same thing. I said this in the first service. Most of us are from this area, which is either you are a rural person or you can remember when this was a predominantly rural area. You don't have to step in something to know what it is, people. But we get older, and we think, I can, okay, now that I'm older, I can handle this sin thing a little bit different and, and it not get on me and it not mess me up. And I'm not, I, I can still be a fragrant offering and have Jesus and something else. It's not Jesus and something. It's Jesus only, you know? And if you have that kind of mentality in the way that you're loving your family or not loving your family or working in this church or serving in this community or working at your job or your business, then you've got big problems. Likened to eating a, a ketchup popsicle with white gloves. It's going to be nasty. Nobody knows how you try to get around it. 
okay? And so he says, offer your life up as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. You know, a lot of times we live our life, I know I do, and I'm the preacher for today, you know? I live my life, we live our life in this attitude, you know, thy will be done, my will be done on earth as it ought to be in heaven according to me. And that's not the way it was written. We're not living the sacrificial life. And when I was like, here's the thing, we have beat this drum of like financial sacrifice in America far too long. And you're like, woo, I like this guy. No, it's far more than that. Because you can, you know, you can, you can honor God with your lips and your mouth and what's in your wallet and your heart be far from him. And then all you're doing is throwing away blood money. That's kind of a way to look at it. He's saying, love me, be a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to me. And then he goes into something that's just really uncomfortable, so I'm just warning you. He goes, goes further, he says, but sexual immorality and all impurity, lock in on that, or covetousness must not be even named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolishness, talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And we're going to stop right there. He's talking about sexual immorality here, and the Bible is full of absolute truths and absolute statements and truth claims. And some people say, well, how do you, how do you know that? How can you prove that? And you're going to be like, well, this is really intellectually lazy. lazy. Mm-hmm. I've seen the smoke come out my head as I think about this, so I would argue with you. I don't worry about proving Christianity because nobody's ever been able to disprove it. I'm not holding God up. No, 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 no. I'm just repping the king. Where he says, go, I go. Who he tells me to love, I love. Do I do a perfect job at it? No, my wife can attest to that. And he says, but here's what's not supposed to be among you, sexual immorality. And this is a verb in, in, in the ancient language. You don't need to know, like, how to pronounce the Greek word here. You just need to know he's talking about everything that is not inside the biblical definition of sex, whether it be pornography, whether it be uh, uh, adultery, whether it be homosexuality. It's just a broad term that he used here. It was like, hey, that stuff will wreck you. And then he goes on and he says, and all impurity. He's using, he's using this, this as an example to these Ephesians because the Ephesians were, were captivated by magic and sensual desire. And you see in Acts 19, 19, Paul's preaching the gospel in Ephesus and all the magicians come forth and they burn their magic books worth a pretty penny in silver, at that, like, a, like their life's fortune at the time. And it ends right there at, the, at that paragraph in Acts 19. And it says, and the, the name of the Lord kept doing great things in Ephesus. These people, they met the true Jesus, not an idea of Jesus, and captivated by his love and said, even if it costs me everything financially, God is good. I talked with a student last night, and he said, how do you know your relationship with Jesus is real? I said, you know it's real when he looks the same in every circumstance. When you can say God is good whenever the money's in the bank. And when you can say God is good when you're losing somebody to cancer. After, after you've thought through it and you've told him how angry you are to him, and you can look at him and say, you know what, even in the valley I praise you. You are still good. You are still good because I'm not liking this right now. I'm hurting, daddy, but you're getting me through it. We had some guys last night, yesterday afternoon, better yet, we went and we helped this family move, and this man really needed some help moving. 
apartment had flooded, and, and, and we are trying to move some stuff out. Chris said, um, we'll, uh, I'll get you some help. And so he shows up with, with, with me. They take care of you when you come to do a DNA out here. You move refrigerators and stuff. And um, so uh, he shows up with me, and his eyes just, like, got really big. And, and I told the first service, it's because he saw a guy with, like, no neck. You know, like, like I got a shed, a place where my shoulders meet my head. And, like, and he was just like, oh, 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 he's, he's, he's big. We got this. And he opens the door to his home, and he walks in, and there are 30 nasty, because they just came from a dodgeball tournament, uh, nasty high school guys, and they're ready to get the job done. And we moved him out in record time. We walked, we walked to his new apartment with refrigerators and washers and dryers because we had so many. It was just, and, and they were loving it, and they were sweating all over these people's furniture and stuff. And he said the night before, he stayed at the 4 o'clock in the morning praying, and he, said, and, he, and he called him Father. He said, Father, you've got to help me. You've got to help me. You've got to hold back the rain, send the people. And guess what? That happened. God cares about furniture getting wet. What do you think he cares about you? That's why this stuff doesn't even need to be named among you. Jeremiah said, you'll hear a voice behind you in the wilderness, and he'll say, and he will declare to you, this is the way to walk, therefore walk and live in it. We've heard that voice from the ages past here in the American church. Are we still, are we still walking in it? The good news of Jesus is still, is still good news. And so he's saying, are you, are you, are you living for your body carnally when he mentions sexual sin? Because if you're living for your body, you're not living for his body. All right? And then he says, are you living for things of this world? Because if you're living for that, then you're not part of the one body, the one flesh, the one baptism. And you're definitely not eager to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace if that's the way it's going. And he says, this stuff doesn't need to be named among you. You know, the world has no use for a, savior, a savorless Christian. Jesus himself barely has use. He says, hey, you know, if, if the salt loses its saltiness, it's, nothing, it's good for nothing but the rubbish heap. They'd be thrown out and be trampled under its foot. You know, we think going along, get, going along to get along is what helps us. And the world looks at us and says, I don't want that. You ask a non-Christian why they don't come to church. It's either two reasons. Somebody hasn't invited them, or B, they say it's full of hypocrites. To which I like to respond, hospital's full of sick people, but you still go there, you know? So what are you doing with this unity? What are we doing with this love of Christ? And see, here's the thing. Because it doesn't have an end, because he's poured it out on us, we can waste it. We can waste it. We were kids last night. I said, man, it's finally clicked, and I've looked back, and I've wasted this whole weekend. God help me. That's grace. Can you look back on your life? Can you look back in the season of your life? Can you look back from this Sunday and say, man, there's been points in my life where I've definitely wasted the love of God, where I I wasn't caring about it. I wasn't compassionate for it. I had no desire for it. And he says this, and here's one of those absolute statements. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For cause of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Sons of partition. He's, ma- he's making a reference to Judas here. You know, he was a son of disobedience. And the things he sought more than Jesus, ultimately, A, they weren't enough, and B, drove him to end his own life. Is Jesus still enough? Is the love of God still enough? 
Have you remembered? The psalmist says, remember the iniquity that he drug you out of. Is this still enough? Are you teaching your kids that's enough? And see, Satan has, Satan has, has, has convinced us something here in the West. That if you love good things, good things, family, kid, job, you know, stuff like that. If you love good things just as much or a little bit more than you love God, then it's not really that bad because the thing you love is still, is still something good. And guess what? Sin is sin. No matter how you look at it. You can exalt your wife over, over the Savior. You can exalt your children over the Savior. You know? And honestly, guys, I think we exalt our kids over the Savior sometime after they're looking at them this, this, this Dean Out weekend. We either exalt them over the Savior or we don't even bring them to him. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a bad thing. That's all there is to it. You know, I, don't, I don't have any, like, pithy, like, one-liner, like, good preacher quote. It's just bad. Are you teaching people? Are you teaching your children to love God and his church, or are you teaching them to just love this one? Because if they just love this one, they'll never be one with him. They'll be one with you, but they'll never be one with him. When they grow up and they go to college, and does it grind your gears if they, they join another church? Or are you thankful that, man, they're just sitting at the feet of Jesus? Because you see, there was, a, there, was a, there, was a, there was these two girls one time, Mary and Martha, and they had a problem. Jesus came over. Jesus comes over and ruins a lot of things sometimes, you know. And, uh, you know, you've got Martha beating, beating on the pots and pans in the background, you know, kind of like a stomp concert, trying to get things cooked, get things ready. And uh, uh, Mary's hanging out at the feet of Jesus. And uh, Martha comes in and is like, tell her, rebuke her, and come back in there and work with me. And Jesus says, one thing's necessary, and she's chosen to do it. One thing's necessary when it comes to discipling our kids and living in the love of Christ and being, being the church and not just doing church and all the things you've heard before. One thing is necessary, and that is complete and unyielding allegiance to the King of Kings. And you love what he loves. And he loves his bride. He loves his bride. I get it. There's some whack places out there. But if we spent more time praying for people who think they're our brothers or sisters and people who are our brothers or sisters, if we did as much time as we do running them down, things would look a whole lot different. If we wore our knees out rather than our gums, things would look a whole lot different. That's a trademark of what a Christ follower looks like. You want a checklist to see how you're walking with God? If your life's got any of this stuff that Jesus says, it doesn't need to be named among you then you've got problems. You do. That's all there is to it. But the good thing is, is he got up out of a grave and put death to death in said grave to free you from all unrighteousness. And though you run back to it like a dog returns to his vomit sometimes, a fool returns to his folly, a sinner returns to his sin, though you ran back to it from time to time, he is still good. He is still God. He provides a way out. And I was asked last night by a student, he said, Kirk, how do you talk about Jesus like you just met him today? And I said, well, a lot of times it's because I just have. I've already blown it. I'm acutely aware that I'm a selfish jerk. And I need Jesus today just as much as I did whenever I didn't have him. And that needs to be our attitude. Constantly being conformed into the image of Christ, being built up 
to his body. The mid part of Ephesians 4, it says, and speaking the truth in love, being built up into the head, which is Christ, so the church may care for itself. There's an attitude of selflessness to the church, and this is extra because the other church, uh, other, other church, other, other, what was it? That's the word, service. The other service didn't get this. There's an attitude of the church that has to look after itself. There's an attitude of selflessness. There's righteous selflessness you can make that argument for. And you know what it looks like? Me caring more about Mr. Bailey than I do myself. And me saying, whenever I talk to Jesus one day, and he asked me, is Mr. Bailey closer to God because of you or in spite of you? I want to answer the first one. That's what it looks like to build each other up. That's what it's like to, 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 to move furniture for the glory of God. That's what it looks like to be on the casserole committee. When somebody's sick or gone on home. And so today's nothing anything new. Really, I mean, you've heard stuff like this before. Let's be, I mean, if you've grown up in church, you've heard stuff like that before. And you know what? And if, you're, if you haven't grown up in church, maybe this is something completely new to you. I want you to experience the love of Christ. I want to offer out something to somebody if you are outside of Christ right now in this moment that is, concrete, that is, that is better than the love of this church or any other church. And it is the, the opportunity to experience, to have, to live in, to have your, your being in the full choke love of Jesus Christ. Not the love of Dr. Shorter or Mount Airy, but the love of Jesus Christ. Now, hopefully y'all are walking in the love of Jesus Christ, and so people feel that. I want to challenge you. If you've got people in your life that don't, don't know Jesus, how much do you have to hate them not to tell them the gospel? Just tell them the gospel. Tell them the good news that Jesus' love binds us together. Blessed be the tie that binds. Remember that song? Guess what it's talking about? The love of Jesus Christ to bring many sons and daughters to glory, to use somebody that's unusable, to, to take empty hands and fill them with his righteousness and say, I'm going to give you everything you need for life and godliness to get the job done. I want you to realize today, church, that you have an awesome, awesome advantage in this world because today your greatest weapon is love. Father, thank you for everything you've done for us. Thank you for who you are, and thank you for revealing to us who we are not. Thank you for this day and all that you do in it. May you receive worthy and honor and praise from here forward in our lives, and let us walk in your love. In your precious and holy name.